friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and we're back on track. We are coming at you on a Tuesday, and I am so grateful that I finally got my life together. I blame it on, well, I'm not blame it, but I attribute it to a nice, relaxing spring break last week. I'm very refreshed. I'm very, um, I'm just back to the order of things in my routines, like everything from healthy eating to days I'm putting podcasts out. It's amazing. So thank you for sticking with me and putting up with me and all those things. <laughs> um, but today I am joined by my friend Anne-Marie, who I met through Instagram. She is a slippa as well as a grad student. And before I get too crazy on you guys, because I know I'm Californian and I say things differently, um, she is an SLPA. So she is a speech-language pathology assistant She's going to share her story, but we're also going to talk about mindfulness and how she's used that as a graduate student and as a SLPA or SLPA. So I'm so excited to share this with you because I think for all of you who, you know, you might be a student and, and a full-time SLPA, you know, wearing two hats and probably more because then you take that hat off and you go home and um, I just can't wait for you to listen to all the nuggets Anne-Marie has for you. So let's get to it. Hi, Anne-Marie. Thanks for joining Hi. me. Of course. Nobody I'd rather spend Valentine's Day with than you. I know. Happy Valentine's Day. We didn't even wish each other that yet. I love it. Okay, so let's back up because you're in a grad program right now. I am. I'm full-time full at University of St. Augustine's online program. And okay. then I'm also working full-time as a home health SLPA doing mostly teletherapy right now with COVID and everything else going on. <laughs> oh, gosh. And how long have you been a, an SLPA? Um, so May will be five years, which is crazy to think about. I know. Yeah. This is totally off topic because I know we're going to talk about your mindfulness journey and I'm so excited to talk about it, but because I, this question came up and now I'm just now remembering somebody asked me the other day for tips on, um, getting their SLIPA license. And I can't, I think it was regarding like what kind of clinical hours you need as a SLIPA and all this stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never done my SLIPA. And I told her, um, I think I sent her you and then somebody else like SLIPAs that I know on Instagram, like there's their handles. Like you could ask them cause I don't really know, but I think she was specifically wondering how to get hours before her SLIPA program started. Do you need to get hours, certain kind of hours? Yeah. So to get your licensure, I know at least in Arizona, you have to have a hundred hours of clinical contact hours. So that's like doing therapy, like being more hands-on and not just observing. So pre-COVID, a lot of places would hire you conditionally and give you like 90 to hundred days to get your hours in and get um, your license from the state. I don't know how it's working now because COVID has everything all jacked up. So I know like in Arizona, the three big universities have slip-up programs. So you get your hours that way through their university clinics. But I just did mine um, after I graduated and moved to Arizona before I got my license as part of my employment with the SLP who hired me. So it really depends on your state and where you're at. But definitely like cold calling clinics and being like, hey, I'm looking yeah. to get hours and just reaching out to people that you know on Instagram or whatever. I mean, a ton of us have connections, so we can usually point you in like a general direction of where to go. Yeah. And I did tell her, I said, it definitely always depends on what your state says. Um, so I didn't, I don't even remember what state she was in. I don't think she's in California. 
I'm always nervous because sometimes I'm, I'm wondering if they're asking if they can observe me, like if people are asking me these questions because they want me to offer to, to have them observe. And I will say as an SLP in California, I just, things are always like, I'll look up one answer somewhere else or, you know, I'll ask my school or whatever, like, Hey, like, is this part of ed code or blah, blah, blah. But then like in another place, we get different answers. Like, I feel like in California, there's just so many different rules and it's probably true of every state, but California to me is always more confusing. When I talk to SLPs in other states, they're like, no, that's not a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like I'm hoping with ASHA credentialing SLPAs finally that like, that'll be more nationalized, kind of like how SLPs have just like one set of things. I'm hoping that'll be the case for SLPAs too in a couple of years, but hopefully how it goes. Hopefully. But yeah, but like even in California, like we have to get more like CEUs than like what Asha says or something like that. Like we have different timelines and they always say defer to the state. So you either do what Asha says or you just defer to the state. And California likes to have their own rules. So I always, you know, tell people like check with the state rules first. Yeah, absolutely. They, and I know in Arizona for SLPA licensure, like whichever SLP signs off on your hours is usually who your license is attached to. Mm-hmm. So then you have to update it and it's a whole, it's a whole process. I know. Yeah, I know. I have, I have a SLPA who I supervise right now and um, we're, we're always so bad about like, oh shoot, we got to update our paperwork. But every time. Every yeah. time I go to renew my license, I'm like, is my supervisor correct or do I need to update it? So I just send in like, all right, updated form anyway, because I can never yeah. keep it straight. My supervisor changes all the time. Yeah. I'm sometimes that happens to our slippers too, depending on what that supervisor can do at that time. But um okay, so you are so you've almost been a slipper for five years or SLPA. Yeah. Sorry, I say slipper because I'm well, that's fine. I mean SLPA slipper. I heard <laughs> I get speech therapy assistant. I get a less educated SLP sometimes it really depends Aww. on what you're talking about I'm like no way that's not see my my SLPA I'm like you know more than me me girl like we're we're a team like I refer to her as the other speech therapist or the other speech teacher to like our parents and stuff because I'm like she is like she's no I don't know yeah that's how my supervisor time. refers to me to parents he's like this is a speech therapist that'll be doing the therapy and everything else I'm just here to update goals and to keep the documentation current yeah I think that's I I mean we're you guys are just the I don't know it's just a different license like that's really all it is but you guys are just as capable of doing therapy just as capable of like getting to know these kids and their families and all that stuff I love I just love my slippers and I love being a team on a team with somebody um you know, who can, who can keep me in line. That's usually yeah. It definitely makes like the overwhelm and the burnout a lot easier too, when I can call my SLP and be like, everything feels like it's on fire for the love of God, please help me. Yeah, exactly. No, we, I don't know my, I've had, um, a few different SLPAs and two of them have just become some of my very near and dear friends because, it's like, you know, one of them, even to this day, will always send me a little like, happy Monday. Remember, everything's going to be great. Like, she knows I might be stressed out that week or whatever. Yeah. But um, no, I, I love, I love you guys and all that you do for us. It's so helpful. Um, and then you are in your first or second year of grad school. Um, so I'm in my 
first year, but University of St. Augustine's program is five trimesters consecutively. So I am not really broken up into years. So I started September of 20 and I'll graduate in April of 22. So fast okay. and furious. That I'm trying to think, cause I went to University of Redlands and I mean, I started September of 2015, ended in May of 2017. Yeah. But it was semesters and then May terms. And then in our summer, between the two years, we did our medical externship. So it really oh, wow. wasn't, it wasn't broken up. Like I didn't, I, it was like a full year program. It felt like. Yeah. So we do, um, we're very academic intense, the first two trimesters. And then we take some of the more like ethical based stuff and the less like really heavy content stuff. And we start externships our third trimester. So I will start in the summer placement to be determined with COVID and everything else right now, but we'll see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> well, how is your mindfulness right now, Anne-Marie? <laughs> Um, it's actually kind of funny because my clinical class this semester, we're reading the mindful 20 something life skills to handle stress and everything else, which for me is just a really big refresher because I've been doing mindfulness since 2013, like religiously. So I'm not really learning anything, but like there's good reminders in it to like keep myself grounded and everything else. So I am pretty um, structured with my mindfulness practice. I do it at least two to three times a day, sometimes more depending on the stress and the overwhelm. But by far my favorite thing to do is the body scan meditations at night before I go to bed. I just put one on, let it walk me through it. I loosen up all my muscles and I sleep and it's so nice. Isn't that amazing? The body scans are honestly some of my favorite ways, like you said, to relax um, sometimes even like I'll force myself to lay on the floor in between therapy sessions and just quickly like go through every like big part of my body and, and kind of take a breath into it and a breath out and everything. And like, I don't know, it's just something so interesting about just tuning in with yourself physically. Um, that can be really relaxing, but even as you talked about it right now, I'm like, Oh, I can feel my, my muscles relaxing. It's just so powerful. Yeah, I was shocked when I first started doing it um, after in college during my undergrad, I just remember being mind blown, like how much tension I held in like my masseter and my temporalis oh, muscles yeah. and just like, and then down my neck into my sternocleidomastoids and my trapezius muscles and just like, even in my fingers and my toes, sometimes they get really, really tight and tense. And I just, I don't know how that happens, but I'm not aware of it until I go to do a body scan and then I'm like, no wonder you feel like crap because you've been holding all this tension all day and haven't right. done like done anything to take care of it. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I don't know. I just love it so much. So what other um, mindfulness practices do you do? Um, so I also on top of the, you know, just stress from being in grad school and working and COVID and everything else, I also have ADHD so a couple of times I'll catch my thoughts just going about 8,000 miles an hour, like a speed bullet train heading to crash. And so my therapist in college taught me to just kind of catch a couple of them and just sit with them and then let them go. And that always helps calm my brain down and just get me more focused on what I'm actually doing instead of just sitting there going, oh my God, everything feels like it's on fire and I can't do yeah. anything about it. That's a really cool strategy. Um and so you, and you do these things, like you said, a couple times a day. 
yeah, body scan I do mostly at night before I go to bed, um, just because that's just been my routine for so long. Um, catching the racing thoughts is definitely something I do in the mornings when I wake up. And then kind of throughout the day as I'm doing juggling teletherapy and schoolwork and, you know, everything else going on, I sit there with that a lot. I also like the circular breathing a lot, like in for four, hold for four, out for four, Mm -hmm. just to kind of reset and feel more centered. Yeah. That's my other go-to. Yeah, for sure. The breathing for me is a huge one. I think like physically well and mentally, I tend to just put so much on my plate some days and weeks. And so when I can take those moments to breathe, it does alleviate a lot of the tension that just builds up without you even, like you said, like you don't realize it. Like, you know, I think even back to my grad school days and I, you know, I was, I had clinicals on top of grad, like coursework and studying. And I was also working a part-time job and, I just remember like sometimes like driving home from school at night, just feeling such like, like gripping the wheel was like a lot of work because my tension was so built up. Um, And to have like, like the practices to be using them when I was in the program where you are now, like, it's just so awesome to hear from somebody who's in the program using strategies that are helping you um, practice that mindfulness. How do you, how do you find it like when you're like studying, like, you know, how does that, how does it kind of come into play with stuff like that? Um, so like studying in schoolwork, like I, um, I use the Pomodoro technique for studying. So I'll set a timer for like 25, 30 minutes and then take okay. a break because otherwise I will sit in front of my laptop for, you know, an hour, two hours and just crank it out. And then I don't retain anything. I, my back hurts, my head hurts. Like yeah. it's so much eye strain staring at a computer and with my program being online, like almost everything is, you know, digital. So that doesn't help, you know, with having a migraine disorder, that makes things worse. So I take the two or three minute break that I take and I'm intentional with making sure I get up and walk around and that I'm doing like either a deep breathing or I'll do a quick, like just inventory of how I'm feeling and I'll stretch out if I need it. But just really kind of being in tune with my body, what I'm studying allows me to study better and not burn out on what I'm studying so much. That's, that's such great advice. I feel like, because, and I think it's so subjective, you know, people can find what works for them, but I think ultimately it's like, find something that works so that we don't have that buildup of tension because you don't want to take that into, which I know we've all done it. And I'm not saying I've never done this, but we, ideally you wouldn't want to take that tension into a test taking scenario. <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm very, I'm very intentional when I do take my mm-hmm. exams. Like I make, I don't take them before work. If I take them after work, I take an hour or two off to kind of transition from work mode to school mode. Um, just so I'm not totally frazzled and overwhelmed and feel like I'm going 3000 miles an hour, which I am most days. I work, school, sure. sleep, eat, drink, you know, all of that. But I feel better if I can give myself even just 20, 30 minutes to transition from work to school. Mm-hmm. Let's me focus better. And I don't sit here and want to bash my head against my desk for, you know, an hour or two. <laughs> yeah. And I like that you brought up those transition things. Um, I actually last week just recorded a podcast with um, 
Elaine from Pacific Northwest Speech, and we were talking about that very thing, like as full-time SLPs, we need those transitions, uh, those like, uh, I guess, transition strategies is really what they are, you know, between tasks, even if they're the same tasks. Um, I find myself between one therapy session and I have a 10 minute break and I'm like, like, I need a break. I need a real break. I need to transition from what I, and it's very valid because it's like, I just had one student and now I'm going to have another and they're completely different kids and they deserve, they deserve me a hundred percent, but I can't always give that if I don't take a break and take a breath and transition myself and my mind from one thing to the next. And even though those are like tasks, like they're similar tasks, um, it's still helpful. And then, you know, then I go from being like in an IEP meeting to, you know, then I, you know, the work day is done and I feel drained from the IEP meetings. Now I need, you know, to get some small business stuff done and I need to exercise maybe my creative brain. And that does really help me. But sometimes I have a hard time transitioning from my SLP brain to my creator brain my, or my uh, small business brain. And I need like, I need a good transition task. So I, again, I pull in my breathing. Sometimes I, you know, I advocate hugely for naps. Sometimes I need a nap and that helps me reset. Um, to get like a little mini REM in there. <laughs> yeah. Even if I don't like sleep, like even just laying in my bed with my dog for 10 minutes, is like the most powerful thing I can do for myself between mm-hmm. sessions sometimes. And just to like give myself a break, not have to think or do anything for like five or 10 minutes is so helpful. Yeah. Especially now with like everything being in the same four walls. Like I work from home. I do school from home. I'm working out at home. I'm living at home. Like boundaries for me are very important to keep because otherwise I will just focus on one thing and not give myself what I know I need. I know. So like I've set up, I have my home office set up. So that's where I do most of my teletherapy sessions from there. I have my kitchen table set up so I can spread out and study if I need a change of scenery. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I'll just go sit on my patio with my laptop on my lap and just like enjoy the sunshine, listen to lectures, like whatever. Like, but I think for me, like finding ways to change up my environment, like while being in quarantine and while keeping such a tight bubble to protect my patients has been probably the most important thing I've done for my mental health. And that, that didn't happen right away when quarantine happened. Like I've been really intentional with it, with the mindfulness and tuning into my body and seeing how I'm feeling and what I need, because if I'm not taking care of myself, then who's going to take care of my patients. That's a really good point. And, and I was kind of going to ask you, you know, how did it all like, because you've been doing this, you know, you've been using these practices since 2013, but what do you notice? Like, did you notice any challenges with it? Like when quarantine started or did you notice any, um, any new things you wanted to add in there, like to your practices or anything like that? So when quarantine happened and I switched my entire caseload, um, I was seeing about 40 kids at the time because I wasn't in school yet. So I switching everyone to teletherapy, rearranging my schedule, trying to figure out who was going to stay in person, who was going to go virtual. For probably the first six weeks of quarantine, I did absolutely no self-care. I was just in survival mode, making sure my patients were okay, making sure they had everything they need. And then I hit a wall one day and I woke up and I was anxious and I was stressed and I felt like garbage. Like I was running a low grade fever. I just did not feel good. So I called into work and I took a mental health day and I was like, okay. And I was like, you're going to sit down. You're going to restructure your routine. 
make it work for what you're doing now. And then you are going to be diligent and as disciplined with this routine as you had been before COVID started. So that was really rough, like having to shift back to taking care of myself instead of, you know, living in that kind of survival mode. I think we were all doing that at the beginning just because we didn't know and everything was so unpredictable and, you know, up in the air that it was really easy to just like, oh, well, I can do this for another week. Like I can, I can survive like this for another week. But then like you hit that wall and you can't do it anymore. And then everything suffers. Yep, exactly. And before we started recording, I was kind of telling you, like I, you know, especially in quarantine, I hit uh, a pretty big wall, probably around the time that Asha came out with their, it's okay to cry in your car article. <laughs> um, not happy about that one, but. Uh, Best advice ever. Thanks, Asha. Right. I was like, well, I'm already doing that, Asha. What else you got? Um, I'm crying. I'll cry in my closet now that I'm working from home. Thanks. Exactly. No, exactly. It's like, I'll just cry on my couch. Um, but I, you know, it was just like, uh, I forgot what I was going to say because I'm sitting here and talking about that. But I did, I hit that wall and it was just like, what, like, what is going on? Like what I, I need to figure out what to prioritize and I need to figure out how to get myself back on track. And, and part of it, you know, and I was talking a lot about this again with Elaine, part of it is just remembering, like, we are more than what we do Monday through Friday from nine to five. Like, you know, we need to, and, and I'm just so awesome that you talked about just calling in and taking a mental health day because that needs to be way more mainstream. Um, I feel like mental health days are just, there's like this weird stigma, like, oh yeah, take a mental health day sometimes. And it's like, no, no, no. Like if you need a mental health day, you take it. And I love that you used it to figure out what you needed for you. You didn't use it to catch up on anything work-related you know, you didn't, yeah. you know, and it, I mean, you use it for you. Like if you need to sit out on the couch and veg out all day, do that. If you need to use it and then go take walks, if you need to use it and then go walk around Trader Joe's, like you do that. <laughs> Trader Joe's is my happy place. Me too. So much. Me too. It's like I walk in and I instantly feel better. Everyone's so happy to see you. Every, Seriously. It's, it's such a great experience. Like I could spend hours just like walking around Trader Joe's and it's not that big. I know, right? It's like, they see me probably like, oh, she's going back by the spinach. That's round three by the spinach. What else does she need over there? <laughs> she's made 14 passes through the wine aisle. Is this going to be the time she actually chooses a bottle? Or are we going to do another one? <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. No, I love it there. I went there on Friday and I just was like, oh, what a good day. <laughs> like, yeah. Any day I can go to Trader Joe's is a good day. I, I think so. I'm trying and to... I- Go ahead. And then from like a practical standpoint, like being in grad school and working full time, like Trader Joe's has such easy, like healthy meals that I can just like throw together without having to like use any more brain power. I'm already functioning on minimal brain power most days anyway. So like the fact that Trader Joe's can like reduce some stress and like, I am just like, look, and I'm like this, this, and this dinner perfect done. Oh yeah. No, that's been me lately. Lately I've been kind of crazed with being full-time SLP and then having the journal shop and the journal shop's been doing so well, but there's been so much going on with it that I'm like, I don't want to cook ever again right now. And so I've I've just been like, honestly, lately I felt 
this whole, this whole school year, I have felt like I'm back in grad school with the amount that's on my plate. Like I, and like for you, like to be doing full-time job and in graduate school, it's just, you know, you've got to have those things that like make your life easier that you can say, like, there's nothing wrong with going to Trader Joe's and getting, you know, the pre-packaged, um, the stuff I love is like you, like you cook it, but it's not like you have to do all this extra heavy lifting. Like I like getting the chicken that's marinated that I could just throw in the oven. Oh, <laughs> I mean that like and- their carne asada. I just like, I get that I some hickam shell, some coleslaw, call it a yeah. taco. We are in good shape. Oh yeah. That's, that's literally what I've done lately. Like, okay, what's Trader Joe's making me tonight? But, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and yeah, it's just been, it's been one of those times, I think one of those seasons in my life where mental health, my mental health is kind of prioritized around, you know, what, like, it, it always is prioritized around my energy, physically, my physical energy, but then also like my mental energy and my emotional energy. But lately it's, I think it's mainly the last couple of weeks, it's like, my, okay, my physical energy, where can I save? Like, yeah. <laughs> what's going to save me some, uh, some time here so I can put that into something else. Yeah. And I think too, I just like, I've always felt like this about SLP land. Like we don't normalize taking care of ourselves. No. Like we will go and we talk, we almost like idolize like the SLPs that like do it all and have their life all, you know, together and perfect. And like, first of all nobody does that second of all like I know a big issue is that like Asha's not really giving you know us the support we need as either SLPAs or SLPs or even graduate students like if you're not an SLP working in a school Asha's pretty much like that's that what do you want from us well oh go ahead I don't know. You finish. Well, and I was going to say like, and even like school-based SLPs, sometimes we're like, well, where the hell is ASHA? But I think school-based SLPs, we get support from our union, mm-hmm. which is, you know, kind of, ASHA doesn't want to fight a union. So, so not. definitely helps. But um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I agree I, on that. When it comes to that mindfulness, that mental health stuff, I just don't feel like, like I, I want, if I had, you know, my, my pie in the sky, hopes and dreams, I want Asha to publish an article on, on mental health days and the benefits of mental health days for everybody to see like, oh, it's okay. And it's okay to prioritize myself. Like, really? That's a thing? Um, Cause like you said, I feel like in this field and I'm sure it's not just this field. I know it's other fields too, but you know, they, we're kind of in the, for the most part, a lot of our jobs, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, how much can you, can you like, how big of a caseload can you take versus like, what's your, like, what's your max capacity, Marie? What, like, you know, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. Um I just, from what I've seen and from people I've talked to, it's like, I mean, the more we advocate for ourselves in the field, the more things are going to change and get done, which is the good news, I guess, because, you know, people aren't always informed. People see other SLPs taking big caseloads or taking on more or not making time for themselves. So they think that other SLPs can do the same thing, which is not the case. Um, And 
you know, I've learned this year, one thing I have done is prioritize my time outside of work and prioritize my mental health because, and you said this earlier, I want to be able to give that to my clients when I am working with them. Um, oh, somebody just lit a firework outside my house. <laughs> that scared me. <laughs> I thought it was Valentine's Day, not New Year's. But this is my, my uh, city. They fireworks any holiday, oh, Christmas, nice. New Year's, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. Oh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Fourth of July is nuts. I actually don't spend Fourth of July here because I get so scared of all the fireworks. I don't blame you. I would be like, Bye. I can't handle See you it. all tomorrow. No, I just, you know, go away for the weekend or whatever. Hey, not, not a bad idea. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think too, just like the more we are open and talk about it with other SLPs and mm-hmm. even people that aren't in SL, the SLP field, like, I mean, we all know the misconceptions we get, Oh, you just play with kids all day or, Oh, you, my internal medicine resident told me, he's like, Oh, you're the people who come when I need a swallow consult. I was like, yep, that's all we do. We're just like your beck and call buddy. So I think the more we talk about a, what it is we do and how wide our scope of practice is and all the things we are expected to do within that nine to five range. I mean, whether you're working at the schools or home health, like you're responsible for making sure your kids are safe and their mental health is okay. And they're not at risk of being abused. I mean, we're just, we're constantly on. And I mean, if we don't take time to shut off, then like we take all of that home and that's not healthy either. Like you have to, as cliche as it sounds, you have to leave work at work. You do. And if you're going to take it home, like, because here, cause like, yeah, I don't know. I, I know it's hard. It's easier said than done. I've had situations. I recently had a situation where the, the session was so emotional and I was thinking about it even as I fell asleep. And I think we all do that. I think, you know, the reason we're all in this field is because we want to help and communication is just such an emotionally charged thing to be helping with. And and I don't feel like that was something that I really understood until I started working in the preschools. Like I didn't with, or with like younger kids maybe because that's where I got the most attached. Um, but in grad school, you know, it wasn't like anybody told me like, you might be emotionally attached just a heads up. Like you might go home. And I definitely did it in grad school. I was so emotionally attached to my clients, but I didn't realize what was happening. Like I didn't realize that weeks on end, I was actually really thinking about it. I was thinking about that one session where I cried after because like my poor little guy was just so frustrated or because I talked to a parent about another family member passing away and that was affecting the child's communication. And it, like, we do take these things home, but if you're going to take it home, I think one of the biggest things is like, use those practices, those mindfulness practices, those body scans, those you know, if you journal, if you do deep breaths, like use it to reflect on it and then focus on either letting it go or, you know, focus on like something, I guess for lack of a better term, like productive about it. Like what can you do, um, that might add value to that situation if it comes up again, or just, I don't know things that, cause like, I know I've taken it home and then I'm like, sobbing to my boyfriend or a family member and they don't always get it because they weren't there and then that's hard because I'm looking for a connection because I'm hurting maybe a little bit for my student or for their family 
And so I've learned how to kind of be more self-reflective on it. And then if I want to talk about it later, I can, but, um, it's, it's hard. It, it, sometimes it's easier to maybe say, you know what, I'm going to leave this one at work and I'll come back to it tomorrow. Like sometimes that's the practice. Yeah. And I think too, just like knowing what you can control in a situation. Yeah. Like at least for me, when COVID started, I felt so out of control in my session because I didn't know what my kids were going to need when they logged in. Half the time, they can't tell me what they need when they log in because, hello, why would they be on my caseload if they could tell me what they needed? So I was very emotionally charged too because I could tell my kids were anxious and stressed and didn't know what was going on. And when we as adults don't know what's going on, how do you tell kids who A, have difficulty comprehending things and B, have poor emotional intelligence, like, hey, I know this is really scary for you, but it's really scary for me too without freaking them out. Yeah. No, that was hard. It was, that was such an interesting time now that I can reflect on it because my little neighbors are outside playing. If you can hear them, I'm sorry. Cute. <laughs> They're like screaming. It's so cute, but they'll like, sometimes they get so loud. Um, but anyways, the, yeah, I, you know, we were told no services, like no therapy right away in our school district because they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if we were going to go back last year or whatever. And, and so we waited for like what felt like ever and I missed my kids. And then I was just like, you know, at the service provider part and he was like, they're missing their services. And the SLP in me was like, they need help. Like, I want to help them. And, um, you know, I at least want to talk to their parents. And, and some parents emailed me, you know, and updated me and stuff, but it wasn't anything I could like consistently be like, okay, so are you doing this? Are you doing that? Like, you know, things like that. And um, that was really, it was really hard. And, you know, I, but then like, I was in kind of a dark place, like, because I was scared. We were all scared that this was something different. Like you said, it was something completely out of our control. And um, we didn't know what any kind of outcome was going to be. And it was just a whole mess, but it definitely got me to the point where I was like, okay, what am I doing for myself then? Because like, I'm not putting myself first. I'm just constantly worrying about everything else. Um, and not really focused on, you know, taking care of myself. Yeah. And for me, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I'm a helper. So like when COVID hit, like I went into like max helper mode, but twos go to eights and stress. So then I was emotional and I was angry and I was just like all over the place. And I was like, this is not doing anything for anyone. And then not only that, like my anxiety shot up because I have a ton of friends who like are ICU nurses who work in the hospital, who are in med school, who are like my doctors are all residents at the university hospital here. So they were all pulled to cover COVID units. Like I was worried that I wasn't going to see my friends again. I weren't going to come home from shifts. Like I have never been so scared that like knowing that like probably like new year's mid January would be like the last time I might see some of my friends. I know. I like that, that was hard to grapple with too. Just like that complete loss of control and like Mm -hmm. not being able to do anything about anything. I know I got really nervous. My best friend is a nurse in a bigger hospital out here. And so you know, she right away was like filling us in with information and all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was just a really weird time because 
I was just like, she's going there every day. Like, I remember crying, like, just like praying for her. And, um, and then like, she was so, I mean, you know, this is the job I signed up for. Like, I'm happy to be there and all that, you know, just like so crazy to me. And I'm so blessed and grateful for, you know, someone like her in my life. And then I remember also being like, I want to be like, I want to be doing my job. I get that. Like you, like it kind of gave her a purpose where I felt very much like my purpose was taken from me for a while yeah. because I was not providing direct services for a couple months. And, um, I was still working. I mean, I was making videos after videos for my kids and I was pushing into their class sessions and like just sitting there and maybe leading an activity. And, you know, I was in meetings. I felt like every day for a month over it because everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. But just, there was absolutely no control and it, it kind of, you know, and I always will go back to, it took, it literally took my boyfriend, like looking me in the eye when I was like, finally like cracking, like just crying and couldn't, and just inconsolable. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, you don't realize you're more than this. Like, you're not just an SLP. Like this is, you know, you have so much more going for you and this isn't like the end of the world. And, you know, and I was just like, you're right. Like, I guess, I guess that's true. And that kind of pushed me to be more like considered about my mental health, but in the way of like, yeah, I'm not just an SLP. Like this does suck. And it did. And I mean, we all, I mean, we got through it, but it sucked. Um, yeah. But you know, that awareness of all the things that we bring to the table, whether we're at work or at home. And that's why I liked what you said about leaving things at work, because we can, you know, we, we need to turn it off to prioritize ourselves. Um, that way we can go back again tomorrow. That way we can be, you know, the type two, type three or whatever, Enneagrams that we are. Cause I'm a type, I'm a type three with a wing two and a wing four. I'm like, oh, nice. right. I'm right there because fours are like the very emotional ones. That's for sure me. Yeah. Um, and then two, the help, I mean, makes sense. Like, yeah, every SLP has some two in them somewhere. <laughs> Deep down, I know we all do. Oh, yeah. Like it has, we have to, but I'm for sure, you know, the, the achiever three. Um, luckily, I think my my two really invades the three, like, at the right times. Like I won't, I don't get too tunnel visioned with my pro. I mean, I get tunnel vision with my projects, but I'm always like, okay, but how am I adding value? How am I helping people? Like, yeah, you know, that kind of a thing. And then of course my emotional side also really can invade the three, which is probably good. You know, I start thinking with my heart and all that stuff. It's really, otherwise you'd have a to-do list eight miles long and then feel guilty because you didn't get anything done and it's not done perfect. You know, Exactly. Yeah, no, that doesn't. Yeah, I'm a, my wing is a three. So I like, there are some days that I'm like super three and I'm like, you didn't cross anything off of your to-do list. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like you got up today. That's enough. That's all I needed to do. Great. No, I, I think, okay. So this is a total tangent, but I love Enneagrams, but I also, I remember I read somewhere like a year or when they first started being popular, somebody was like, they had just mentioned like Enneagrams are so cool, but they're, And one reason they're really cool is to understand them and then like understand kind of like, cause like, if I think about it, it's like, I used to be a hardcore three and now I'm, I just kind of waft like, which I like better. I feel like I'm more of a flexible person than I used to be. Um, Nothing like a pandemic to do that for you. 
oh yeah. And, uh, but it's just interesting because like this person had said, like, just, it's cool to pay attention to Enneagrams, especially like as ways to be a teachable human. Like if you're a three, like maybe knowing that it's not always the best, you know, thing to be focused solely on productivity, um, because we need breaks, right? We need to think more like a four or we need to think more like a nine, um, my boyfriend's yeah. a nine and he's, he's pretty chill. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could be more of a nine, but I think I will always be a two with like a strong three going. And, but see, and then I think there's so many, it's like, but then there's so many great reasons to embrace which one you are because it makes you, you, and it adds like the way that you can contribute to the world is different than the way that somebody else does. And I just, I think it's so cool to see how it all kind of works together. Um, but it's just fine. I love reading like the memes, like like a type four in love and then like descriptions of it. Cause I'll like show, show my boyfriend. He's like, yeah, that's for sure you, <laughs> like, but I remember when I, I met with my pastor at church a couple years ago, just to like figure stuff out. Cause I was super overwhelmed and you know, there's a lot going on and he had asked if I'd heard of the Enneagram and I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm, I've heard of it, but I'm not super familiar with it. And he was like, well, what do you think you are? And I was like, I've definitely got some strong three in me and I definitely got some strong two. I was like, but I don't know which one is my dominant one. And he looked at me and he goes, Anne-Marie, you are the strongest two I have ever met Aww. in my life. And he was like, it's great. He was like, cause we, now we know how to like help you. And he was like, but he was like, part of the problem with being a two is you don't always prioritize yourself. Yeah. And he was like, so, but because you know, you're a two and you know, you get joy and your cup filled by helping other people, you need to extend that same grace to yourself. Good for him. Because you're useless if you're not taking care of yourself. It's so true. It's true for anybody, right? Like back to circling back to just talking about mindfulness in the, in the field of speech pathology and being a grad student, um, you know, and I'm, I'm excited because Rachel from Speech with Rachel and I are putting together a little workshop next week for undergrads and grads like on mindfulness because these things are so important. I love that your program is talking about it a lot in your coursework because that that is something I wish I had more on when I was in grad school. Just like the the <laughs> like thinking about it, like keeping it in mind, you know, I had one teacher, um, and this is really what helped me in grad school was my second semester. I was going through pretty hard life stuff outside of grad school, um, with, you know, my really unhealthy relationship that I was needing to end, but stuck through a semester, my second semester of grad school for, and then ultimately ended it right after the semester ended. I was like, okay, yeah, no, I can't do this either. Um, But then, so I was going through stuff like that. Also, the second semester of grad school was like freaking hard for me. Yeah, it is. I don't know. Okay, does that feel, it just feels like the first semester they're like, da, 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 da. Yeah, this is grad school. Not that it, I mean, they're not like, it's not like in a rude way, but you know, like, yeah, it's a client here. The, here's your courses, but it's, they, I don't know. I felt like in the second semester hit and not to scare anybody, this isn't to scare anybody, but I think they, the second semester is like the testing, like they're testing you. Like, yeah. How far are you, like, what challenges can you take on Marie? So my second semester, since you, you're probably familiar with this, I had my Second half of anatomy and physio, where we talked about dysphagia. 
Oof, which is my worst subject ever. Stay in the preschool. The I, rest of us will handle the dysphagia. I don't do it. I know, but you know what's funny is now I like things come back to me and I'm like, oh, that's aspiration. But, like I'll just randomly like the kids, you know, with whatever the kids do. Anyways, so then um and then I had I I got placed, I was in autism clinic, which I really wanted, but cool. I had um I had a my my client um, he was autistic not speaking self-injurious behaviors um was straight into the fire with that one yeah yeah and I yeah and I was like I don't know what I'm doing and so and then we I was also placed you're not always placed your second semester but I was placed on my diagnostic team and I got the very first evaluation so I oh, no. was like I went into that second semester like <sighs> this is going to be rough. Um, and that my autism teacher, so she was, are you familiar with Hannon? The Hannon? Yeah. Thing? So she was yeah. Hannon certified. Oh, nice. She is everything I want to be as a, as a speech pathologist, as far as like child development, following the child's lead, play-based therapy. Like she was so much fun. I loved her so goofy and silly, because it's just life, you know, she just was yeah. a fun woman. And I, I really resonated with her. And she was also my diagnostic uh, supervisor for the diagnostic team. So I got really lucky, but I was really stressed at first. But she like, she helped me so much in terms of mindfulness, because what she had us do for autism clinic. Um, also, I had an apraxic client for my speech sound disorder clinic. I didn't mention that one. So I I was like in my most all. time of life, just all at once. Outside life was crazy. In, in school life was crazy. But anyway, so she, what she had to say. And you was, had no experience with any of it. Nothing. I was like, all right, here we go. But I was, I was at a point in my life where I needed to take charge of something. So it was kind of perfect that school was crazy because I could just take charge of myself in it and like really... Cause it was either like, I let everything get to me or I like handle this like a boss. And I guess I just chose to handle it like a boss because I, I needed something to control as bad as it sounds. It was just like, that was where my achiever side really helped me because it kind of taught me that I could do things on my own. I could end a nasty relationship. Um, so self-love wise, it really got me through, but it took a lot of like, it took grad school work to like teach me like Marie, like you're, you're more than like any of this going on. You deserve better and blah, blah, blah. And I think one of the reasons it helped was because in my autism clinic, that supervisor, that teacher, instead of doing soap notes, we did self-reflective journal entries, which is like my thing. Um, and so we, it was a soap note in a way, like we had to talk about how the client came in we had to talk about what we were expecting out of the session, but we also had to self analyze and we had to look at what we were doing, not just like the outcomes, not just, you know, the plan for next time. We had to talk about why we felt the way we did during the session. And what I found coming out of it was talking about in like my life outside of, I didn't like go into details, but I remember saying this resonates with me this week because like I recently did this, like, or I have this going on outside or whatever it was. And it just, it spoke to me in a way that like, 
it was just something for me that that was my mindfulness that semester. I was journaling every week after this client. And um, not only did I see amazing progress with that client, I think because I was so aware, I was aware of myself and I was so much more open to what was going on in the clinic. And then I was more open to the changes happening in my life outside of school because I, it kind of prompted me to start journaling more at home. Um, so it was just a really cool, cool thing. And that's kind of why I've just taken that on as like my, like in my platforms and everything of self-reflection. Cause I'm like, it's, it's for everybody. You can do it as a grad student. You can do it as your soap note. Like it was just such yeah. a thing. And my favorite thing about mindfulness is you don't have to like necessarily be in the head space for it. Where I feel like when I'm doing like yoga or like traditional, like more traditional like meditations, like if you're not in the right head space for it, it just sucks and you don't get anything out from That's it. True. But like with mindfulness, like if I'm feeling anxious, like I embrace that and I use what I know works for me to like push through that anxiety. Yes instead of feeling guilty that I feel anxious or overwhelmed or whatever. Yes. Like it's mindfulness. Isn't a guilt thing. It's uh, Hey, like here's where you're at and that's okay. And I think we need to normalize more that like, it's okay if shit sucks and things feel out of your control, but like it gets better and you will like, yeah. we have these strategies. And the most important thing for me with mindfulness is like, practicing it when I feel okay and I feel at my best because it's like working out like if you don't use it it you don't you don't have it in your toolbox and you really need it when that overwhelm and that burnout really sets in I agree I 100% and I think that having the awareness of what like like you said it's it's just having the awareness to call to say like yeah I feel anxious about this I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to force myself into a meditation where I'm only going to criticize myself for it. Um, not that you would, but you know, I know me, if, if I was feeling a certain way, it might really, I might start to overthink it. Oh um, yeah. And then I have to separate on it and it's like, it, it's just it's a slippery slope yeah. and we don't need to go down that slope. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think a huge part is that self-awareness. So I love I love what you said. I recently started reading a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Um, highly recommend it. It's something that Rachel actually recommended for me. So I'm reading it. Well, when I get out of grad school and I have more free time I know. to read things, I enjoy actually, it again. Actually look it up on YouTube. You can listen to it. Um, oh, even better. Yeah. Cause that's what I'm doing like in the morning. So I get ready, but anyways, long story short, basically what I'm getting out of it is just, it's helping me heighten my awareness. It's like, you know, I talk about mindfulness. I have so many great things that work for me, but do I get in ruts? Yes. Do I still need supports? Yes. Do I need reminders to look inward first? And I, even though I remind everybody else, yes. Um, because it's a, freaking journey. It's self-discovery. It's, you know, things in the world are changing, which means my reactions are changing. My perspectives are changing. And, um, like you said, it's just knowing kind of what strategies I can use, knowing where I can turn. And I love this book because it basically is talking about understanding the dialogue that goes on in your own mind, which is for me, something that can really keep me up at night. So being able to acknowledge the dialogue, acknowledge whatever's kind of uh, maybe frustrating or <laughs> seems to be tormenting my mind in that moment. Um, but then understanding that that's not, that I don't have to get stuck in my mind. Like 
I don't know. The book is yeah. really great for kind of teaching how to, how to not get stuck. Yeah. In undergrad, my, um, I was seeing a clinical psychology student who was finishing up his PhD. And one of the practices he had me do when I like got in that headspace when things were, I was stuck on something or couldn't move past it was to write it down and then to write down two I am statements to counteract it. Mm-hmm. And then two things you are grateful for just to like change your mindset. And so now I can do that without having to like physically write it down. Right. And it's really, but even writing it down is really powerful. Like going, I was looking through it the other day because I found it in a box that I had in the pack since I moved. And just like flipping through that, I was like, I am so thankful that I am no longer in that space because I don't know how I made it through that semester of undergrad with a 3.6 feeling with like my anxiety being off the charts and everything else. Yeah. And then just like, it was powerful to like look back through that and like realize how much work I had done on myself to like counteract some of those like negative self right. talk patterns. And it's, I don't know about you, but like for me, like I am really prone to imposter syndrome. Like I very quickly like feel like if, I, especially if I have a rough session and I'm already feeling kind of like on rocky ground, like it's so easy for me to be like, well, I'm the worst therapist in the world and none of my kids are ever going to make progress and somebody else should probably be doing my job. So, and to counteract that, like, I, I even have it as my desktop background on my work laptop, but like I'm bilingual. So I have a really unique skill set that nobody else at the company has. I am learning new things constantly in grad school that I get to apply almost immediately in clinical practice, which is a huge leg up for any speech pathologist. I think I'm being able to learn something and immediately apply it has just like leveled up my therapy game, the way I'm retaining information from school. It's incredible. And then just. And it's okay if you need to reach out to other people for that validation. Cause I'll text my supervisor sometimes after a rough session and I'm like, Hey, that session sucked. And he's like, no, he's like, it was just a rough session. Like mm-hmm. here's some things you can try next time. He's like, but a bad session isn't a reflection of who you are as a therapist. Sometimes it just goes to hell in a hand basket and there's nothing you can do to get it back on track. It's so true. That's like probably the best advice, especially for a graduate student because, or, you know, um, a slip up, but I, I feel like in grad school, there's just a level of vulnerability. Like even if you've done therapy before, maybe, you know, like where, I don't yeah. know, it's just, there's so much learning you're doing. There's so much you're taking in. And I feel like, you know, you want to be able to, like for me, I only learn through application Dang. and, you know, I, I could sit in class and they would, they would tell me how to do, you know, like if I sat in my phonology class and he was telling us all the techniques and then, okay, Marie, so with your apraxic client, you know, this is what you should, you should try next, next time. And I'd be like, I don't know anything you just said. It wouldn't be until I go in that I'm like, okay, wait, I, I remember one time being like, um, what was his name? Dr. Cooperson. Cause they would watch us on recordings. <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, maybe Dr. Cooperson could come help. <laughs> he like popped his head in and was like this and I was like okay thanks and like I could do it but it was just that learning through application and I feel like there's some pressure to take it all in and then go and do it right away like yeah versus let yourself learn through learn by going through the motions and be okay with you know taking the critique later um so you can do it again because you're gonna have an opportunity to do it again with your clients as SLPs, like I can, as you know, I've been out of grad school now for almost four years. I can tell you, I learned through application all day, every day. Oh yeah. You know, some sessions it's like, oh my gosh, yay. And then some sessions, which 
I've had quite a few lately where it's like, okay, there's next time. Now there's going to be next time. Like, it's just, you get okay with that. (laughs) Eventually you're like, you get used to that and then you really embrace it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. One of my classmates texted me last week. She had um, a really rough debrief session with a parent and she was like, I'm really bad at this. Like I screwed it all up. Like the parent probably doesn't trust me. I was like, first of all, the parent understands you are a graduate student clinician. Mm -hmm. So that automatically implies that we don't have all of it together 100% of the time. I said, and second of all, this is where you want to make those mistakes and screw up and mess up. It's why you're in grad school and why you have somebody who you can fall on, who can help like take you out of that because like when you get into the real world and like you're talking to parents by yourself you don't always have that like parachute yeah and I and I've done it I mean I fall in flat on my face talking to parents and sound like a total idiot and I'm just like okay I'm like we will just send an email with what we meant to say that way it's in writing nobody's confused and you know it just happens yeah. sometimes it's like what you think in your head and what you tell a parent and the way a parent interprets it or whatever don't always line up and the only thing you can do is recover and go okay let's go back to the drawing board let's find something else that works yep. for you exactly exactly well I think we've hit our time <laughs> probably I didn't even look at the clock until like five ten, and I was like already it's been an hour but this is, it's just, I could talk about this stuff all day long, especially with mindfulness and speech pathology. They're my two, you know, my two biggest passions. So it's like. Me too. My, I will say my one like super practical tip for practicing mindfulness. I wear my Apple watch all the time. Of course I don't have it on today because I've not been you know doing anything, but you, there's a setting on it that you can set for those breathe reminders. And I think you can set it for like once an hour or whatever. Yeah. So then like that pops up and I'm like, it's, it usually pops up when I'm in the middle of the session, but just like that cue to remind myself to just like take a deep breath, even if I don't use the app itself is sure. so helpful. I mean, so that's anything, my like, I've done it with my kids. Like I've felt like, same. well, yeah, I've sit, I've sat in sessions. I can distinctly remember last year when we were still in person, I had three boys um, because I was really brave that day and decided to pull three preschool boys. <laughs> oh girl. And, um, yeah. And they were driving me crazy. I love, I love them. I love all my kids, but I assume parents get this where you're just like, why did I do this to myself? And we're sitting there and they're all in each other's faces. And I'm just like, oh, like, you know, it's one of those, like, I'm yeah. never having three kids. <laughs> yeah, right. I tell people all the time. I'm like, my job is the best form of birth control. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, nothing against it, but in that moment I was like, cause I'm a, I'm one of three, but we weren't all the same age at the same time. So I guess yeah. I, I'm never going to have three triplets or triplets three. Yeah. Anyways. So we're all sitting there and then I was like, boys, want to take a deep balloon breath or whatever I called it. And we just sat there and did my, like, I have my little balloon. We blow the balloon <laughs> up and then we exhale and we, we deflate it. And we kept doing that. Cause I was like, I mean, I didn't tell them, but I'm like, I need a freaking break. I need a break. <laughs> you all are driving Miss Marie up a wall. They were, but you know what? It helped all of us because then they calmed down. Like, so there's no underestimating those mindfulness practices to be used during a session. Like you said, like if you need to take a breath, if your Apple watch says it, you could, I would even show the kids like oh, breath time. <laughs> you yeah. can everybody take a breath. I have, I have a couple of kids on my caseload that like every time they log in for their session, like I just have the like, 
I like the calm bubble because it's mm-hmm. like very calming and it's like visual. And we love visuals and speech paths. Oh yeah. And we'll just, we'll sit there for like four or five minutes and we'll just take deep breaths. And like my kids are like, I feel so much better. I'm like, good. Maybe now you'll do something for me. <laughs> so oh, it, it's a nice reset. It's what it is. Yeah. Especially like with these kids spending all day online. Like I cannot imagine, like it's hard for me as an adult and I can't imagine having to like have information like shoved into your brain do homework and then go see your speech therapist on zoom like no way jose no it's hard i mean i have kids that aren't doing homework thank goodness but uh, yeah i feel for them i really do because this is a this is a hard thing we've been doing it and they've been doing great i mean my kids are rock stars i just i just can't believe we've been doing this for a year and they've been doing it alongside me like i'm so proud of them (laughs) It's crazy. I was just thinking about that. Like next month will be a year and it's been what a year it's been to be a speech pathologist. Right. And especially you guys who have started grad programs and finished grad programs. I just, yeah, you know, I know it's different. Um, but the, the nice thing is, you know, it's different for everybody. It's different for your teachers and we're all learning how to do this together. And, um, you know, it's just, I, and I keep saying it, but I'm like, I feel like the speech pathologists that come out of this pandemic are going to be that through like the grad programs are probably going to be some of the best and the strongest because, um, not only have we built such a good community online for us, like because we had to turn to each other last year, which just one of the best things to come out of it has been, I think. Oh, absolutely. The SLP community on Instagram is out of this world. I know. And, um, like, like I was saying, there's twos in all of us because like, look at how we've all come together and, um, you know, so there's that, there's that sense of community and place to kind of just learn from each other. But then, you know, just to go through all of this virtually to be now the best at, in my opinion, at virtual therapy, because you've all gotten to learn about it while learning, you know, while your teachers have had to learn how to teach you the techniques for people. Like we didn't have anybody teaching us, those of us that were just thrown into it without any supervisor support. We were just like, I'm telling parents, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, the amount of times that phrase will come out of my mouth in the last year, I have no idea what I'm doing or how I'm going to do it, but we're going to do it. Oh yeah. No, I feel like that's, that's 2020 in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. And now 2021, but but anyways, thank you so much, Anne-Marie. This has been fun. And I just, of course, I know so many will be inspired by you sharing your background and your story and, um, all the things. Thank you so much for listening friends. Anne-Marie, thank you for joining me. It was so wonderful to talk with you on Valentine's day, even though that was like a month ago now. Um, I really am just so grateful for all that Anne-Marie shared with you. And I hope that, you know, if you need to go back and listen for some quick tidbits and, and SLPA hacks or grad student hacks, but, uh, I know you're all doing so great. I know we're ending some of your semesters fairly soon here and maybe getting ready for graduation, clinical fellowship, or maybe you're getting ready to go into a grad program. So just know you've got this, you keep on going. The light is there at the end of the tunnel. Enjoy the light that's, that's there with you right now, you know, enjoy the process, um, and the challenges and, uh, there's your pep talk because sometimes we're so focused on this light at the end of the tunnel, um, which is a good thing. It's great to have a focus point, but 
Don't forget to enjoy what is going on around you. Be present because that is going to be huge and give you so many takeaways as you, you know, as you transition into new things. I am sending you so much love and light. Remember, subscribe, review, rate. I said that in a weird order, but you know the drill. Share. Share with somebody that might want to listen and and hopefully share with, you know, their people. Um, And I love your shout outs. I'm always so excited when I see you tag the podcast on Instagram. So remember to tag me if you're listening and love it at thanks Morris and uh, have a beautiful one, friends.